And good evening. Welcome to Couch Potato Radio. Derek Hansen with you on the mighty 790 KFGO. 31 degrees. We're actually having a pretty mild run here, keeping the snow away. KFGO today coming up. I do want to give a little programming note. Uh, Hennessy on Hockey, the first one tomorrow night, 630. He's got a special guest, former uh, UND national champion Gage Osmus is going to join him. So that's 630 tomorrow night. Hennessy on Hockey here on the mighty 790 KFGO. And then Starting a week from tomorrow is uh, the Twins Hot Stove Show. So that'll be at 6 o'clock. So we'll have uh, the Twins Hot Stove Show going into Hennessy on Hockey, 6 o'clock Wednesday evenings here on the Mighty 790. It's a pleasure to have with us again our frequent guest and uh, always fun to kind of talk about the sport of politics, something that uh, he and I both enjoy very much. And he's part of the Political Science Criminal Justice Department at North Dakota State University. That's Dr. Jeff Baumgartner. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. One of your uh, your uh, alma maters, you see that that the uh, the for the first time in, in 114 years, no battle for Paul Bunyan's axe with the the COVID outbreak for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. It it, uh, it probably works to the, the Gophers' favor. Uh, their best shot at a tie. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Here you go. I mean, you got to. You, you're pulling the Dabo Sweeney on me, right? They just don't want to play Bucky. Is that <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate it is, but yeah. it's, uh, this is this is not. I mean, the last you know the last win notwithstanding, this really hasn't been the Gophers' season anyway. No. So it was probably going to get ugly. So yeah, people. I mean, you probably have seen this in your workplace because you work in law enforcement, you you work in higher education, and what have you, and. There are certain people that need a routine. I can think about it in my radio career, right? I mean, they, I'm kind of, I try, I, maybe it's the way I am in life and politics and everything, right? Where, and I don't get too highs in the highs and, and lows and lows when it comes to my favorite sports teams. It's just, you know, I take things, I mean, I'm pretty thankful for a lot of different things. But I, I'll say this I mean, there are some people who need to be regimented, right? We do this at this certain time, a boom, 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 boom. And I think guys like Bill Belichick, and I'm not comparing PJ Fleck to Bill Belichick, but you know what I'm getting at. I mean, I think there's got to be as those those type of people in that world, they really have to be regimented, don't you think? And I don't think COVID nineteen has helped them out at once whatsoever. No, absolutely not. I think you're exactly right. It's just that uh, I think I think coupled with that high energy uh, for Fleck in particular, um, uh, it has to be structured routine right i mean it has to channel somewhere and and uh uh and with the routine sort of blown up um i think there's i think it's just sort of i who knows i guess i'm not in there i don't i don't have an inside view but i could imagine it's, it's a lot more ad hoc and chaotic and that doesn't really play to uh to the gopher coaching staff's strength and uh um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I'm sure that's been a significant factor. The only thing though, is that everyone can make that claim. Everyone has had to deal right. with the same issues. And, uh, but I, uh, but I, so, here, here's why I think it's different for different coaches. The coaches that can make halftime adjustments and maybe can switch on a, uh, you know what I mean? I think it's better for yeah. them. I'm not saying it's wrong. And one's, I'm just, I think that's just how certain people are wired. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. I'll bet, I'll, and I suspect you're right. I suspect the ones that are particularly successful now are, are probably those who who are very good at making adjustments on the fly and kind of rolling with uh, unforeseen circumstances. Um, and uh, uh, the Gophers, 
either because of coaching or, or the depth of talent or whatever, uh, maybe a combination just maybe can't be as, as flexible. And, no. uh, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. Let's hope for a, a, a more normal season next year. It, you know, no matter what happens this year, no matter who wins the championship or whatever, um, whoever wins the conferences uh, around the country, everything is going to be marked with an asterisk. And so, um, so it's, it's, it's not a terribly consequential year. This is like one big exhibition year. Um, uh, and then hopefully next year will be, will be a more, uh, you know, normal uh, college football season. Yeah, it's funny you say that because you know what a big p- fan of major college football I am, and I it's hard for me to really get into it. And I think part of it is because, you know, you can sit at home and you feel like you're there, just the surround of the noise and the pictures and, the, you know, the, the scene. I think the fans at home, it's just hard for me to really get into the football season the way I normally do because I think it, you know, you went from where you wanted to have the stadium experience in your house and then you want to, and that's kind of, really has come to fruition here so when you have that and it doesn't feel like there's a crowd or whatever it's just it, oh. I don't know how to explain it and granted none of my teams are really really good this year but it's it's a weird thing even more than the baseball season for me right yeah I think so too I think it is a weird thing baseball we're kind of used to not a lot of crowd noise so well right because uh, it's yeah it, there's just there, it's it's a spurts of moments right I mean yeah, and, and, exactly. That's a very good point. Where I think you're seeing that the defense is such a big deal, but it's it's a it's a weird thing. Speaking of, how about this segue? Speaking of adjusting on the fly, what a couple of weeks it's been here with everything that's been going on, and it kind of sounds like we have the transition going forward. And obviously, Wall Street liked that today. And I said to a, a few people in the building, you know, it has to be driving President Trump crazy that the Dow goes over thirty thousand. When he's claiming that, you know what I'm getting at? I mean, he he bases so much, it may be too much on Wall Street to see that today, the day after the announcer, and let the transition go forward. You know that he's not very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. I uh, I mean, he was out there taking credit nonetheless. So um, uh, I think at this point, you know, when it's pretty clear uh, he's on his way out, even to him, I think, and to his staff, it's got to be at this point. Um, then I think, you know, you, you know, his, his, his approach should be to glom on to, uh, symbolic victories on his way out and try to highlight, you know, the high points. Um, and you know, a, a, a well-performing, uh, stock market, uh, you know, which, you know, a lot of people's retirements are tied into, it's not just, uh, you know, the millionaires and billionaires. There's a lot of regular folks that rely on uh, a good performing Dow, um, including me. Uh, but, uh, well, we all want to retire someday. So yes, exactly. And that's, that's been something that's been doing pretty, you know, pretty well under, under uh, his watch and has made a comeback, uh, you know, in this, uh, you know, in this, uh, sort of COVID, uh, recovery time. And, uh, as we've, as we've opened up again, and I think, I think he can take some credit for that because he's, he's certainly taken a lot of criticism for his degree of opening up the economy, uh, when he has and being very, uh, adamant that he's not going to shut anything down again. I think that has helped. That's the, the stability of that certainty that uh, we aren't going to have national lockdowns anymore. That's helped, uh, uh, you know, with the market as well. And so there are things that he should be trying to uh, identify with, you know, good news items that he should identify with on his way out the door. And, and uh, you know, he has quite a th- few things he can point to. And, and, and that's, where, you, know, you know, unfortunately for him, that's what he's going to have to be content with. 
I'm kind of curious. We're talking with Dr. Jeff Baumgartner from North Dakota State's Political Science Criminal Justice Department. I made the prediction early on, and I think after the uh, – it was one of the early speeches. I want to say it was like Friday after, you know, on Election Day. I just looked at the screen and said, you know what? He's back in four years. I really I, – I just believe it. And if he runs, you know, he's going to be the nominee. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And if he doesn't and he goes independent, that's probably the Republicans' worst nightmare because the two most political powers right now are – the, the Trump people and the anti-Trump people and the Democrats and the Republicans are third and fourth, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it would be a mistake for him to run again. He might be tempted because that might be redemption. You know, that might, you know, he, he might want to put the uh, the bookend uh, on his political career by winning again. Um, but I I think he'd be better off to just sort of resurrect. As, as memory fades of some of the, you know, of, of some of his negatives, um, you know, and as as uh, some of his policies get substituted for Biden's policies, which I think are going to be uh, some of his, Biden's policies are certainly going to be unpopular uh, with with a lot of people. And I think Trump would be better off just to try to uh, frame his place in history as having had a very good four years, despite all the uphill battles. Um, I think if he tries to run again, actually, I think he'll lose. Uh, I'm I, I'm going on the record now. Four years. I, I've been wrong about so many things uh, during this last election cycle. I might as well uh, go all in and make bold predictions. But I uh, I think uh, I think he would lose if he ran again, and he'll probably be dissuaded from doing so. Um, I think in four years, people will not want to return to that chaos. They they again. They, there's a lot of Republicans that will appreciate. Uh, his boldness and his willingness to uh, push back and defend their positions and so forth. Uh, but if you find a good, solid conservative who's very articulate and is you know, not taking any guff on his own, but is still uh, nevertheless a bit more conventional, a Marco Rubio or something like that, uh, I think, uh, or Nikki Haley, I think some of those people have a real chance to be stars in the party in three and four years. And uh, that's who I would be looking for uh, to, get, to secure the nomination is somebody like that. Well, let me ask you this. And part of the reason, because there's so many questions, why don't Republicans, you know, push President Trump to concede? And, and I'll tell you, I could give you a lot of different theories, but I think you're, I think the Republicans are really treading in some deep water if they do try to, exalt him from the party now if he keeps on going on and they kind of have to let him do what he's going to do because if he decides to run as an independent let me ask you this it, let's say a marco rubio gets a republican nomination and then it's either i i can't believe that you know president like biden's going to actually run in four years but you know whether it's kamala harris or whoever it might be from the democratic party and donald trump who's going to win north dakota and south dakota in your opinion if if trump runs as an independent against those two well, that is a good that is a good question. I uh, I I would, I would I would bet money on Trump, and I wouldn't even, wouldn't even blink. And I don't know if anyone would get to two seventy. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah. I I think that that's possible. If Trump runs as an independent, I think he can he can outperform Ross Perot and and uh, actually get some uh, you know not just in the popular vote, but actually win some you know some uh, electoral votes. But um, but no, I, I actually I'm not convinced that North Dakota would vote for um, would vote for Trump again if given a, a viable, uh, you know, and uh, acceptable uh, Republican alternative. Um, I, I think again, I think people I think Trump was 
sort of perfect for his time. Um, but that time is kind of, is, is kind of passing now. I think, uh, uh, you know, I think there's more people around the, I'm surrounded by, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty staunch Republican. Uh, you know, I've got, you know, my wife's pretty conservative, well, fairly, you know, very conservative and my, you know, and my wife and I don't even, uh, uh, you know, necessarily agree on the merits of Trump. Uh, uh, you know, and I, I don't know, uh, you know, that she would vote for him if he were uh, running, uh, in, in four years, uh. Uh, and if there was a if there was a good good Republican conservative that was running, uh, and I had the choice between that person or Trump in four years, I think a lot of Republicans like myself, including here in North Dakota, would would probably vote for the Republican. Um, but there, it would be enough to to uh, definitely split the vote to some extent, and it'd be interesting to see how it would shake out in the end. But I I, I think. Uh, yeah, we should put that little five dollar wager out there. I'm I'm up for it I, if it if it you happens know, I, because I don't think Trump's going to run. Uh, that would be my prediction because I think he will see the the tea leaves at that time that people are kind of done with 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 that kind of drama now. They appreciated his fearlessness. They told you know Republicans totally agree with his uh, punching back at the media and so forth. Uh, you know, but I think people aren't going to want that again. I think. I, I could be wrong. Well, that's, here's that's, where here's where you're. I think you're going to be right, and, and where I think that people and, and maybe you can't talk to a guy like President Trump like this because you know I've talked about it before, and, and some people make this sound like a negative. I mean, he's he's got he's a narcissist. I mean, just no, and I've been around narcissists many times. So taking defeat for him and accepting it's going to be awfully tough. But if I could have been strong enough in his, you know, the political move for him, I think would have been. After a week or so, say, okay, fine, I'm not going to fight this. It doesn't look good. I'll see you in 2024. I got Rob, who's with me. And then all you people with pickups with multiple Trump flags, I'll do a rally once a month or so. But I think there's a fine line for doing it with too much fatigue for the next four years, right? You can't do a rally every weekend if you're him. But to show up and be like a rock star once a month, I think, and I think you would have to find that fine line of not, you know, I think the tr- there would be a little bit of ex- exhaustion with him, but then you know you had seventy million people that voted for him. They may want it too, so it's going to be. I think to watch what he's going to do here. There's no doubt he's going to be all over the media still, right? I mean, right. I mean, so whether there's Trump fatigue or not, I think is going to be the story of the next four years. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I if 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 he keeps popping into the. Uh into the news cycle, I think there there could well be Trump fatigue. I mean, it, it's true that he 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 got more votes this time than he did uh, in in 2016. But he but he but but that fact notwithstanding, he lost some of his original votes. You know, some of the votes that some of the Democrats that voted for him returned to the party uh, in 2020, um, in part because they were, I think, fatigued by Trump. I think they, you know, again, I think they appreciated his populist message. I think populism. One one you know one lesson from Trump I think is that uh, you know populism generally uh, does play pretty well um, you know Democrats are already vowing to you know move away from the America First uh, foreign policy but I think I think they should keep that close to their vest because I think most Americans like the idea of America coming first in in uh, the things that we do that we protect our interests uh, first and foremost so. Uh, those things I think played well, but I think I think Trump's personality and Trump's baggage, some fair and some unfair, uh, at some point just becomes too weighty, and people are tired of it. Even people that voted for Trump, I guarantee you, right now, people that voted for Trump 
uh, and even if, you know would have agreed that yes, if you have a if you have a path to victory, if you have legitimate legal claims, make him or whatever. But now that it's kind of shaping up that he's pretty much done, I think there's a lot of people that vote for Trump that are like, okay, fine, phew, that's over. You know, we we gave it a best shot and it's over, and you know, let's uh, play defense now for the next four years and uh, uh, you know uh, try not to you know lose some of the you know some of the the the, uh, the increases that we've had in in uh, in in uh, you know Republican registration and, and uh, expansion into the minority communities and so forth. But I think people are uh, you know people are sufficiently fatigued. I think I could be wrong, but I think uh, plenty of Republicans are fatigued enough that although supporting them when he was in office, they'll be kind of relieved when when it's all over. I think a lot of you know, old school Republicans are, I think, I just don't know <laughs> if it's set in with, you know, I mean, when I, when I go out and about and I go th- drive through rural Minnesota and, you know, Colin Peterson's district until j- January and see the signs and the flags and stuff, I just, I just wonder, you know what I mean? Cause it's, yep. a, and I, you know, I saw it last year when I drove to Florida and back, I mean, that was back in March. So it's I've never seen anything like that. I mean, or people are actually opening up stores with the president's name and they're selling shirts and bumper stickers. I mean, you ever seen anything like that? If it wasn't coming from the, the party headquarters where you're getting signs, people are, are profiting off this. It's a phenomenon. I, I just have never seen, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like this again. Maybe we All will. Right. I think we saw some of that with Obama and, his, you know, Trey Guevara, uh, you know, like t-shirts and things like that. I mean, I think, uh, I think I think there's a cult of personality that attaches to some of these people. Obama was one. Trump is another for different reasons, of course. But um, and yeah, there's going to still I think Trump I think Trump should should take that that cult of personality that he has and and the following that he has. And 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 at this point, go off and be, uh, you know, let history uh, improve his image for all the very good things I think that he did while in office and actually rather remarkable accomplishments he, he, he did despite, again, very, very much an uphill battle and a constant struggle against, uh, uh, you know, against the tag team of media and, uh, and the Democrats. But, um, but I think, you know, in 2024, 20, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a, a Republican candidate that uh, will try to leverage some of that, uh, some of that, uh, you know, populist anti-establishment uh, fervor, um, but uh, but otherwise won't, um, you know, won't put off uh, the vibe that everything they're going to do is going to be uh, some major controversy, and they're going to they're going to say things that are going to be controversial. They're going to they're not going to put off the vibe that they're going to constantly criticize other Republicans and so forth. And I think, I think for most Republicans, uh, that will be welcome in four years. Yeah. It, well, that's going to be interesting to see it where that rolls right now. Cause I, I think, yeah. And I, I you, you bring up the one term presidents, you know, you think uh, Jonathan Alter was on with Joel Heitkamp, uh, I think it was yesterday. And, and, and he's done a book about Jimmy Carter now, and I think about George H.W. Bush, which I think, you know, we've gone on and respected those two for much, you know, very different reasons. It will right. be interesting long term if, you know, if he doesn't run again, if he, he kind of what what that legacy will be like. I mean, what whatever his next chapter is, it's going to be pretty intriguing when you think about these four years, because I think for a lot of people, they're going to talk about COVID and they're going to relate deaths to him. You know, I mean, 
you know, whatever. I mean, I'm just, I don't, I try not to get into that, as you know, but it, it's it's one of those things that's going to be kind of intriguing because some people blame Jimmy Carter for the, you know, the hostages in Iran. You know what I mean? It, it, and I don't know if you use that as an equivalent, but that was not a very, I was in first grade, but I don't remember that being a very fun time in this country. Right. And I think you're, I think you're right. I think that in, and also the stagflation we had at that time as well. But uh, I mean, yeah, Jimmy Carter definitely has that hanging around his neck for all of history. Apparently the, the Iran uh, uh, hostage crisis lasted 444 days, uh, all entirely within his, uh, his presidency. Um, and so, yeah, the, the COVID is going to be associated with the Trump administration, but likewise, uh, so will possibly uh, the pathway out of it, right? I mean, if uh, uh, I think history will be, um, if this vaccine turns out, if these vaccines turn out to be uh, every bit as effective as, as they're saying, and inside of a year, we might all, you know, most of us might be vaccinated and we'd be on our way to herd immunity, as they say. Um, I think Trump, uh, I think history will be kind to Trump. There's already even some liberals that are Sort of conceding that, yeah, this Operation Warp Speed is pretty a good idea, and it was it took some uh, some thinking outside the box to uh, to move the bureaucracy around to to make this happen and to and to let you know partner with businesses to make this happen. Uh, I think you'll get a lot of credit for that uh, as we look back, and so things like that, I think he should just focus on. Uh, you know, if he's going to be in the news, he should remind people of some of the good things that he did uh, and maybe help shape, uh, you know, maybe be a, a, a broker at the table for the next nominee to make sure that some of the things that are important to Trump uh, are reflected in the platform and reflected in the positions of that next nominee. Uh, but I think he could he could, you know, if, if he spends the next four years repairing his reputation uh, and, and uh, people start seeing him more favorably, uh, I think he could undo all of that if he runs again. Well, it's, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I will do that in a little bit. Derek Hansen, this is Couch Potato Radio. Dr. Jeff Baumgartner with us from the North Dakota State Criminal Justice Political Science Department. Let's go to George. George, thanks for being with us here on KFGO. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to you. 2020 will go down as a year in infamy. <laughs> well, there's that's uh, for sure. Anyway, anyway, if we you were talking about what uh, tweaked my curiosity was uh, back in 1976 when Jimmy Carter got in. I was working with my dad, and uh, he was a diehard Democrat, and I'm conservative. And we went on about different things, you know. So this feud's been going on for what 50, 40 years between the left okay. and right, the witches, and uh, there's good parts on both sides. But it seems like way back in about that time, that's when people quit working together. Yeah, everybody. Picked. Yeah, thanks a lot for your phone call, George. I do. I mean, I mean, well, was it after Nixon where this really divisiveness started? I mean, I, you look back when FDR tried to get Social Security going. I mean, that was about as nasty as. I mean, you think about. I mean, people were shooting each other back in the colonial times and you know Civil War. I mean, I, I is it? I think it's always been pretty nasty, hasn't it, Doctor Baumgartner? Well, we certainly had periods of time that have been. Marked by you know real hostility between uh, politicals in both parties, but um, <clears throat> but in, in modern history, uh, um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd put it in the Jimmy Carter years. Maybe uh, I was I was a little older than you, Derek, at the time, but not not much. And so I mean, it's it's more of an exercise in looking at history for me than than anything else. Uh, I was in I think fourth grade, and I remember we had a, a, a straw poll in my fourth grade class, and and 
uh, Gerald Ford won uh, in that election uh, in my class. But, uh, but of course, Jimmy Carter went on to actually uh, win that election. Um, but I think uh, certainly, um, at least in my recent, you know, as an adult anyways, my memory, uh, you can take it all the way back to George Bush uh, the first. Um, you know, he had very contentious, uh, well, even uh, the latter term of Reagan with with uh, with uh, the Robert Bork nomination, and then uh, uh, some contentiousness with uh, George Bush uh, uh, and uh, the Clarence Thomas nomination. I mean, I think there was, uh, you know, with 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 sort of the the departure of Reagan and Tip O'Neill eventually. I mean, they were always seen as the the model of uh, you know civil but disagreeing with one another and you know willing to have a beer afterwards. Uh, it, it seems like it started to to break down, you know, post those two, um, and then really ramped up uh, during the uh, second Bush, you know, George uh, W. Bush administration, and uh, you know, the end of his first term, the end of that second term, where you have a, you know, you had a more radicalized element, I think, of the of the Democratic Party, or even people that wouldn't identify as Democrats, but kind of rising up. That's when we had the Occupy, the Occupy movement. Uh, you had a lot of, uh, you know people proclaiming Bush was a war criminal. I mean, a lot of acrimonious kinds of stuff being said. Um, that, you know, well, if you don't want me to throw my two cents in here, but I do think it maybe happened a little bit before that, because I think you mentioned Tip O'Neill and, uh, and uh, President Reagan, but I do think, you know, when Newt and Bill Clinton were working together on the contract with America and all that stuff, and they did a lot of deregulation together, you know, once they impeached him, that really seemed to kind of set it in gears. You know what I'm getting at? It, it just... Sure. And that and that seemed well, that the that's when it really got nasty. And I I think the two family families that you mentioned there is kind of like the power brokers in each party for what almost two decades was the Bushes and the Clintons. Right, right. No, that's a fair point. Um, uh, but then that would take you back to um, yeah, that would take you uh, 1988. I mean, I think, yeah, no. 1988, and. Uh, um, uh, with with uh, with George Bush the first uh, and and I think you know I think uh, it, the first two years of that Bush administration you know was was generally seen pretty favorably. Remember he was very popular with the first Iraq War. Oh, for sure. Um, and it seemed uh, you know very improbable that he would you know uh, have uh, have any problems with that. But uh, um, but yeah, I mean that that campaign got a little nasty at times. Remember Ann Richards and the you know silver spoon in his mouth uh, yep. kind of thing. At the, at the convention um and and then yeah and then with uh with uh, the president clinton and hillary clinton um uh you know that uh that certainly they, they were certainly polarizing to a lot of people as well and so um you know i remember still you know hillary clinton with the comment about you know well some people might want to stay home and make cookies you know like uh you know that was Setting, you know, that was already sort of setting the stage that, uh, you know, that we're not all in this together. So I think, yeah, I think it could go back that far. It just seems like the the really crazy talk uh, really ratcheted up under the second Bush administration with, again, the war criminal stuff. And well, I'll say that previously it seemed over the top, uh, but it became kind of normal. Here's here's the barometer where well, I agree with you on that is that. You know, he was the first president where he had professional athletes not wanting to go to the vi- you know visit the White House when, you know, sure. and, and then it went on with Matt Burke and Obama and a few, and obviously with Trump was a whole different level of that. You know, what I mean, <laughs> but but the la- for the last three presidents we've had was the first time that professional athletes didn't want to go to visit the White House after they won a world championship. I, to to your point, 
there. Right. Final thing for Dr. Jeff Baumgartner from North Dakota State University's Political Science Criminal Justice Department. Um, so we know that the situation here is I think most people want the country to move along, right? Uh, the Georgia Senate races are going to be intriguing. That's an understatement. And I think the eyes are going to be solely focused on Mitch McConnell if he still retains retains power. I mean, that's because don't you think no matter where you lie, people want to kind of move in the direction of, hey, can we work together just to kind of get the wheels turning again? What's your take on what's going to happen here within the first 100 days of the Biden administration? I, I do think if, uh, if if the Republicans are still in charge of the Senate, I uh, you know, say what you want about Biden. Biden is a product of the Senate. And, and a lot of those older senators uh, on both sides of the aisle uh, know Biden. We're, we're friends with Biden. Um, and so I I could imagine uh, there being some sort of, uh, you know, working across the aisle uh, to some extent. Um, but uh, um, on the other hand, I mean, you know, some of it's going to be, you know, sort of contingent on, on who Biden puts uh, on point on some of these policy issues. I, you know, there's already uh, senators saying that if, you know, if the Republicans are still in charge, they're not going to approve certain kinds of nominees uh, if they were to be nominated for cabinet level positions. And so, um, you know, it just, it, I guess it just depends. But I, I think uh, Mitch McConnell's legacy is already kind of wrapped up in the form of uh, the judges that he's gotten through. Um, and I, I I think not much else is gained for him at this point uh, uh, to uh, to be anything other than sort of uh, conventional um, and, uh, and and you know, go out. He's got to be near retirement himself, but to go out, um, you know, as somebody who uh, at the end of the day uh, still garnered respect uh, by both Republicans and Democrats. And I think I think that might be his tact uh, going his tact going forward. Is just to uh, you know certainly still be conservative and Republican, but uh, uh, but be open uh, to uh, areas of compromise. Yeah, I think that would help him because I think it, it, I think right now he's kind of wearing thin on a lot of people. To be quite frank, I, I think and you're right. I mean, you got to think that at some point him and Joe Biden have had dinner together, right? Over the of past, course. I mean, and if and I think that's part of the reason that you had a lot of these Republicans maybe want to settle and maybe voted for Biden, whether they <laughs> want to admit it or not. But yeah, I, I don't know how many voted for him. I mean, you know, Biden's positions have changed over time, but, uh, but still they have relationships. You can't, you know, you can't pretend that you don't know each other or that you don't have some history with each other. They served on committees with them and so forth. And uh, Biden was the president of the Senate for uh, a, a long time, you know, for or eight years under Obama. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I can I can totally see uh, uh, them working to some extent. And I think that's kind of where Americans are at, too. I think Americans if polling is to be accurate, is to be believed as accurate. You know, Americans are actually polling for the Republicans to retain the Senate uh, and to force some degrees of compromise. Um, and I think probably the markets are hoping for that as well. That will be interesting. Well, we'll see how it plays out. We'll know within a, you know, a couple months here how that actually is going to play out. Dr. Baumgartner, thanks for your time, as always. You bet. Fun. Thanks. You bet. Dr. Jeff Baumgartner, we could go on for hours, probably, <laughs> with uh, just talking about uh, politics and what's going on. Derek Hansen with you. He, again, as uh, Dr. Baumgartner, is part of the North Dakota State University Political Science Criminal Justice Department. We'll be back to wrap up the hour, and then KFGO today on the way here on the Mighty 790 KFGO.